When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From pitch side to print to the press box above Providence Park. It's Jamie Goldberg from the Oregonian and Richard Farley from the Portland Timbers and Thorns. This is Soccer Made in Portland. On the scene, all the time. Welcome everyone to Soccer Made in Portland. It's been a weirdly quiet week on our end from the journalism uh, covering the team perspective. There's been no availability, at least from uh, you know my perspective. Same Maybe here. you've been out there, but yeah, no. I guess from both of us, then uh, no availability for the Timbers or the Thorns this week yet. So we we're coming mm. off this Timbers game Sunday, and we're sort of waiting to hear uh, in the next few days. I, I guess with Gio Vani Savaresi. And the players have to say about it. Ah, it'd be better this way. Let's get our thoughts down. Actually, even more important, we've got a ton of questions yeah. this week, and we've structured the whole show around that. Let's get our theories in place, and then we can check them against what people <laughs> are saying during the week. Because after Sunday's game, on the back of the previous Sunday's game, I think we kind of need a vent session. Yeah. <laughs> and also, something I wrote about this week, we just need a brainstorming session, because there are no answers right now. And to me, that means any idea is a good idea, because we don't know what's wrong. We don't know how to solve it. So let's just all brainstorm for a little bit about why we think the Timbers have conceded 10 goals in three games. Yeah, 10 goals in three games. <laughs> I, I think uh, we Matt Doyle's the one that put it out there. That's the... No other team in MLS history has opened a season by conceding three goals in, in three straight games. Uh, so the Timbers are first to do that. Uh, not really a group they want to be season. in. <laughs> historic, historic in season. all the wrong ways so yeah. far. Um, and, and no other team in MLS has conceded 10 goals. San Jose, who I, I think everyone looks at as just just gosh awful yeah um, well, uh, I mean, honestly like when you're watching the san jose games they don't look good but they're also not having these collapse moments yeah that I we're mean, seeing from the timbers that's the thing when you're when you're looking at san jose and saying they've conceded nine goals well the timbers have conceded 10 and, yeah. and so uh things are not better uh on this side um our predictions for Timbers at Cincinnati were, were so just bad. so bad. They were the 3 nothing loss in Cincinnati of predictions. Yeah. Uh, I, I predicted a 1-1 draw, and, and that was me trying to be pessimistic against the Timbers because Char <laughs> wouldn't be the lineup, and the Timbers were still playing an expansion team. That No, the Timbers didn't come all that close to scoring, it, and they conceded. Not one, but three goals. Uh, you predicted Polo on the score sheet. Uh, he didn't start. Yeah. Um, so, so in that way, your <laughs> prediction was at least better than mine. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess uh, I got one of Cincinnati's goals. 
if, yes. if we're going to give... If we were still giving points for these things. <laughs> yeah. Do, have we actually explained to everybody why we're not doing the points anymore? Uh, I'm not sure if we've totally... I think we said that it would be more fun just to make fun of our, our thoughts. But, Probably. Uh, how, how dumb we are. How dumb yeah. the experts are. Look at what we're doing with all this access. <laughs> access. We're being wrong. But for people who have asked, the reason we're not doing points anymore is it left me in a position at the end of last season where my predictions were ridiculous. And it kind of wasn't fun. I was trying to make up points at the end by just saying, all right, you know, this person's going to have a hat trick when they're, they never score goals. I was just swinging for the fences. So we're yeah. just going to do straight up predictions. We want, we want both our predictions, your side bet, my prediction to be saying we actually think is going to happen. And yeah. then we can make fun of how wrong we are uh, or, or potentially how right we are. But so far, how so, wrong we are. Yeah, we're running out uh, of material right now yeah. to make fun of ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about the game. The Timbers conceded three goals in Cincinnati. I think there was some fear that this environment was going to be so emotional. I don't think that was the case. I mean, the Timbers up until the hour mark looked like they were kind of the team controlling things. The atmosphere was decent, but not so much greater than you see in other places around the league. Uh, not so much greater than the Timbers overcame in the playoffs last year. So that's an excuse that I think we have to cast aside. I think let's just get right to people's questions and let's go to Blue Tiger. Jamie Goldberg. Can we panic yet? Yes. Yes? <laughs> yes. We, we. I think it, it's fair to panic uh, at least a little bit. I mean, the Timbers have historically had uh, poor starts this season. They had a poor start last year. Um, I've heard about this a yeah. little bit. And I think uh, we might touch on that even more uh, with some more questions coming up. But uh, 10 goals in, in, in three games is bad. Uh, it's really, really, really bad. That's, that's the takeaway quote from this podcast. Ten goals <laughs> in three games is bad. Jamie V. Goldberg. I mean, what, what is it? Maybe over <laughs> over 50 goals in a season would be terrible to concede. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of like the highest survivable amount. Yeah, so I the mean, Timbers t- are a fifth of a way to the... Yeah. I mean... They're on pace to, at this point, to concede over 100 yeah, goals, no, right? They, so. they're, they're on a very bad pace right now. It, I, I think, uh, I guess panic's a, a, you know, a big word. Um, well, the Timbers can still turn things around, but the problem is, and the reason why I, I do feel like a, a level of panic is reasonable at this point, is that they haven't shown any signs um, to turning it around. Last year, after their second game, they went down to Red Bulls. They lost 4 nothing. They had that break, which they have now. So maybe we're a week behind. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, but they were able to turn things around enough going into, I believe, that Dallas game to get a draw. And they looked a lot better. The, obviously, they changed tactics. Um, they came out with a different shape. But they you could see that they had made adjustments, and those adjustments were working. They go to LA, they concede four goals, and you hope that there's going to be some sort of response going into Cincinnati, a weaker team, a team that they should do better against um, in the first place. And they put in maybe a worse performance. Uh, Yeah, I would agree with that. I hope everybody agrees with that because I think there was the legitimate kind of counterpoint coming out of Los Angeles. Like, look, just a goal happened in the second half. We kind of lost focus for a little bit. The 4-1 exaggerated the gap between the teams. I agree. I think that if you buy into that, you have to recognize that the 3-0 in Cincinnati is worse because LAFC is going to be a top six team in this yeah. league. Cincinnati, I guess best case scenario, I don't know, maybe we should reevaluate Cincinnati, but I think compete for the playoffs is their best case scenario. Best case scenario. I, I'm not ready to reevaluate yeah. did Cincinnati. You, did you come out of the game on Sunday thinking, whoa, Cincinnati's way better than I thought they were? Absolutely not. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. I, but going back to Blue Tiger's question, 
let's let's define the we we're talking about here. Can we panic yet? <laughs> Jamie Goldberg cannot panic. She's a journalist. She can't panic. Richard Farley cannot panic. He's kind of this conduit between team and fans. He cannot panic. Can we as fans panic? Well, to put myself in their situation, if you're not going to panic now, when are you going to panic? Yeah. You came into the season with expectations. This isn't like being a San Jose Earthquakes fan right now where it's like, okay, we've got Matias Almeida in. It's going to take a while for him to evaluate the players. This team had very little roster turnover. Went to an MLS Cup final last year. True, it finished fifth in the Western Conference, but it also didn't compete for a higher spot in the 34th game of the season against Vancouver. Had a huge unbeaten streak in the middle of the year. And I think it proved a lot in the playoffs last year. But now here we are. So yeah, in the sense, you should panic because everything that you assumed about the team doesn't seem true. And whereas a couple of weeks ago, we're sitting here going, all right, well, can they survive until that designated player attacker comes in? Well, now I think there are legitimate questions as, do they need a designated player midfielder? Do they need a designated player defender? For me personally, I don't agree that they do, but I think they're very fair questions at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we probably will talk a little bit more about that as well. (laughs) Had a lot of questions this week and they were all um, very fair questions. And I, I think there are a ton of questions surrounding the team which speaks to what you just said. The the question that everyone asked, um, and maybe we can break it down a little bit more specifically, at least in what we think is happening. And I don't think it's totally clear, but everyone wants to know what's going on. If people knew what was going on, I think we would see (laughs) progress. And it's so hard to tell from the distance that we're at, whether we were like you and in Cincinnati this weekend, or we're like the rest of us and watching from the distance of a television feed, I think a good example of this is a lot of people are citing a lack of communication. We don't know that that's the case, but it looks like it. It looks like the team's not communicating. And for me, when thinking about that, the words you hear from the players are concentration and consistency. We heard this all last yeah. week. Lapses in concentration, but we're good the rest of the time. We need to be more consistent. For me, all those things tie together for another word that starts with a C. And forgive me if you've already read what I put on the site because this is redundant. It's confidence. None of these guys are acting like they're confident, not only in what their roles are, but how other people are going to perform in their roles. The second goal against Cincinnati on Sunday, we see that deflected ball land at the edge of the six. Alan Cruz is there, but Zarek Valentin actually does something good and gets right there with him. That's one of the few acts of confidence we've seen in this team. Somebody confident enough to say, I'm going to go do that. How many times have we seen players over these three weeks actually do a thing where you think, I'm going to go do that, is their motive. From Blanco and Chara? Of course, we see that all the time. That's why we cite them on every single podcast as the team's best players. Otherwise, a lot of these goals, they concede, and we're sitting there going, what happened? I, what happened is nobody kind of stepped up and assumed responsibility and did something that meant that no matter what, that other team's not going to score. So I, I think confidence is the word that I really want to focus on. I mean, I think that there's a lot going on, and that's why... <laughs> that this is really concerning. It's not a simple thing. I mean, I think in past years we've said the team's giving up goals in big moments and they're playing really well, but you're seeing mistakes in big moments or or maybe a player or two is just not good enough. Maybe you look at there needing to be a lineup change or, or something like that. There are mistakes happening all over the pitch right now. And that's what makes this concerning when you're looking at how do the Timbers solve this? The midfield is giving up the ball way too often. The, oh, the Timbers yeah. are having these opportunities in transition and suddenly the ball is going back the other way. I think you're even being generous. Yeah. Like what opportunities in transition? I mean, <laughs> sometimes we see the ball played out to Valeri and he takes the extra touch that he shouldn't instead of just touching it one time to Blanco. He's trying to 
to, you know, pull the ball in another direction to get around the person yeah. that's marking him. No, I mean, yeah. that's not working. Or even little things where there's not pressure enough on somebody playing the ball on the back line. They can make a two-level pass. Bill Tulum was just a shade late getting to Roland Lamar coming in from the left. He can touch it off. And then Christian Paredes is committing a foul. And then the next moment, you've got, yeah. you've got a goal. I think... You said there are a lot of things going on, and I think I was kind of trying to be clever about it and trying to summarize all those things into confidence. But really, when you're giving up this many goals defensively, it's more than one reason. Because if it was one thing, you could just fix it. Yeah, and it's absolutely. I mean, it is the back line, but it's so much more than the back line. I I mean, the the obviously Claudia and the failed to man mark uh kind of lost on on the first goal that that's a clear error the third goal um i'm not sure what necessary i don't want to assume it was Zarek valentine missing his mark but you can see Zarek valentine coming in and, and trying to get back to the open player maybe someone else wasn't marking that player and mm-hmm. valentine was trying to compensate for that but either way com- player completely unmarked in the box just right in front of goal easy easy goal to score um, and the lack of pressure. I mean, giving teams opportunities to to create to create to create chances to have all these quick little passes around the box because you're not pressuring any of those attackers and, yeah. and players are holding back. And maybe that speaks to confidence. Maybe that speaks to a lack of leadership. The the team has looked very disorganized. Who's trying to who's the player that's supposed to be organizing the team and making sure they're staying within the areas they're supposed to and the formation they're supposed to. Valeri, like you said, I mean, Valeri has to be one of the Timbers' best players. He has not been effective. Uh, and I, I think, you know, that that was some, a concern last year as well. Um, he, age, I, I think coming into this year, Char and him are both turning 33. But I, I think on Valeri's side, given his performance last year, that was much more of a concern. That is still definitely a concern for me, uh, given his performance so far. Um, the attack's not creating enough to protect the defense. I mean, when the attack has the ball, when you that's time when you're not being uh, giving the other team opportunities. Or I, at I least mean, you're pushing the other team yeah. back. There's so many issues going on right now, and I think we'll get a little bit more specific into some of those things. Um, but that's why it's so yeah. concerning. How does this team solve it? Well, let's go back to that third goal conceded that you're talking about. Uh, a ball gets played out. Normally, that allows the defense to kind of push yeah. up, get organized, and adjust. But you lose the you lose the fifty fifty battle. Okay, that happens. But what that also allowed Cincinnati to do was throw numbers forward and overload Val- Valentine's side. It's very similar to the first goal in Colorado, where just some play above Valentine allowed two players to overload him. Okay, well if that happens, you got to be better in other places. It. On Sunday, it allowed them to play a ball towards the other side of the box for Darren Maddox, who plays a ball back for DePlan, and he ends up scoring. And you can, I mean, I think you have to question everybody. For me, Valentin was kind of in a no win situation just because, you know, if you're a fullback, you're overloaded, you can kind of just do the best that you can and try to limit things. And essentially, he was able to prevent a ball going directly on goal, but. You know how how does he end up in a situation where the ball comes back to his side and he's not he's not on Deplanya? Well, there's multiple people in his area. Okay, well, how was that ball played to Maddox and he's able to play it back across? Like so many little things, and these are the things that I think coaches talk about when they say it's not just one player. There's all these different things. You know, not winning the fifty fifty ball, not being able to get up and get organized with your line, set set your line. Pretty soon you have one area overloaded. It's tough, but you know when you're not doing. I mean, I hate to put it this way, but it's kind of true. When you're not doing anything in a way that you feel like, yes, that's 
that's what our defense, that's what our midfield is supposed to look like. It all conspires to, you know, 10 goals in three games. How many times are we going to say that? We should have to donate some money to charity every time we say 10 goals in three games, but it's obviously very true, right? I mean, it's, it's so, it's so frustrating. The performance right now, I mean, even, you know, in LA, if if I was going to point out maybe something that went right, Jeff Hanel had a pretty good game in LA. He could not catch a ball to save his life yeah. in Cincinnati, and he's very lucky that he didn't get punished for that, and a better team, I think, would have. Um, Interesting. But even that element, I mean, it just seems like everywhere on the pitch, there is mm. something that is just not going right right now. Yeah, I agree with you. To me, I mean, here's another thing we should be donating money to charity for. To me, Sebastian Blanco continues to be yes. a bright spot. And yes. Diego Chara has given one good game and another game where you can't really say it's a good game because he ended up getting red carded in it. But up until that point, one of the Timbers better players. Yeah. Diego Chara, when he's on the field is he's just, there's very few games. I mean, I, I, you know, sometimes he has stupid fouls. Sometimes that you can look at those maybe individual plays. And obviously that was a stupid second yellow card that he got himself in LA. But in terms of his performance, there's very few times I can look back to and said, Diego Chara had a bad game. Right. Well, but you look at the level to which the Timbers not only are aspiring, but expect themselves to be. You watch Seattle play right now. They've had an easy schedule, but they've handled it very well. Very impressive so far. There are probably six or seven players in their starting 11 that are playing above average. You look at LAFC, you can probably pick out the same numbers. Timbers, two. Yeah. Nowhere (laughs) near enough. And I, you know, I'm not saying that doesn't mean that nine players have played poorly. I don't think Zarek Valentin has been below average. I don't think Jeff Attenell has been below average, but they're being put in situations where they can't be above average either. So yeah, I think that leads into the next question. Patrick, what personnel changes could be made at this point to shore up the defense? Good question. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the question that I sort of, you know, the immediate question I think of when I read that is, do the Timbers have the personnel to fix these issues? And I, I think that's a really big question. I, I mean, I think it's likely that that next game we'll see Maria come in um, and, and get his debut. I, it, my understanding was that he was in a position where they felt like they could start him, but they didn't want to start him on turf. That was Jamie Goldberg sources. Uh, <laughs> I mean, do people know why this was a concern? Do they know Maria's history? Um, I, I Probably not. I mean, obviously he had, uh, it was a knee injury, right? Correct. That kept him out for about eight months and really sort of led to, he was a starter um, at at River Plate before then. And getting back in the lineup was tough for him after that with the, I think, a younger up and coming player. Yeah. Um, But just coming back from that injury was tough. He hasn't played on turf a a lot before. And obviously the injury history, uh, I think, you know, it, it's tough in this league. I mean, the Timbers clearly have turf, and he's going to have to play on turf. But to put him on a field, and, and that turf, it became not a storyline in the game because there was so much else going on. But that turf did not look good. I uh, thought it was funny, but I wouldn't want to play on it. I mean, just the idea of, like, yeah. you're trying to hit a 15-yard ball yard ball that rolls. On turf, that's usually one of the benefits to turf. Yeah. You can hit a ball. You can rely on the consistency of it. And it just looks like it's in the middle of this pebble snowstorm, yeah, and it's it slowing was, down to a crawl. It was not good. So, I, I mean, in that sense, I mean, L.A. Uh, at the Galaxy on March 31st seems like a good time to have him play on, on a field, um, a grass field, uh, and, and that gives him two more weeks. So, that's a personnel change defensively that we don't know how it's going to pan out. But obviously, that was the the move that the Timbers did make in the offseason that I think was the most exciting uh, of the moves. So that allows them 
like we talked about last week, I, I think still at this point, it might be more likely for them to take Viafania off given the, his performance versus Valentin's um, and move Valentin over to the left side. But I mean, the center back pairing, I don't know what's, what, what's going to work right now. Obviously going to that LA game. I, I mean, Mabiala is, I think your best option at center back right now. And he's not going to be available because of, uh, the second yellow card that he got. And really the first yellow card is the bigger problem. Yeah. Where you take that unsportsmanlike yellow, which is going to happen every time you kick the ball away Yeah. in that situation. I assume that's what it was for. I can't, I didn't see anything else that was falling under yellow card worthy, uh, unsportsmanlike behavior. But that puts him in a situation where when you foul somebody like that, you're wrong side of goal, you're right above the the 18-yard box, you run into their back. Look, I don't think Larry did anything bad there. I think, I, I believe it was Cruz who cut in front of him and drew the yellow card. That's going to happen. But he put himself in a situation that, for that to be a second yellow instead of a first. Yeah. So like you were like you were talking about, what does that leave for that game in Los Angeles? Yeah. I mean, to me, let's go ahead and talk about this now. I personally being the Julio Cascante stand that I am, <laughs> would like to see Tui Loma and Cascante as the pair in the middle. But I would also like to see them go to the 4-3-2-1, not only because it was a stabilizing factor last year, as you kind of alluded to when they went to Dallas to try to stem their, their noxious tide last year. But I think we're seeing the Timbers have problems defending in wide areas right now. That's how a lot of people are getting access to the more dangerous spots in the middle. If you have those three defensive midfielders or three midfielders, depending on how you want to play it, you're allowed to kind of open up the channels a little bit and spread out your line. You don't have to be as compact because you have somebody, if things are going well, ahead of those channels to cut off access to it, but also to drop back into those spaces if you get stretched out. So I think if you have those three defensive midfielders in there, it'll allow you to cover those wide spaces a little bit better. And if you are covering them, it'll have another midfielder there to prevent play from coming back to the middle. So in addition to the personnel change, I think they should do a, go to a formation change. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I would lean towards that as well. I think they need to do something right now to protect the back line. And even if it's a Band-Aid, which I think it sort of was last year, um, it, I think it's disappointing that they have to sort of go back to this Band-Aid. But if points are points, and Savarese said that, points are points. They have to get points right now. And they, yeah. they can't keep having these performances because ultimately if you – start adding up. I mean, you talked about the confidence. You start adding up conceding three goals, conceding three goals, conceding three goals. Uh, that's how you spiral into a situation where you can't recover. Yeah. Um, and so they have to find a way to put in a good performance in LA. And given how the defense is performing, given the options back there, I mean, Dielna didn't show me anything that makes me want him to be back in the lineup. So I sort of lean towards Cascante and Tulio to Tuiloma as well, but the leadership back there, I, I mean, I'm just not sure when you're talking about confidence and leadership and having someone to organize the back line, I'm not sure how that center back pairing is going to work out. And especially given what the Timbers, uh, how the Timbers have been playing, I think it might be the best option. Um, but it's definitely not one that makes me have a lot of confidence. I do think at least if you're moving to the four three two one, you're giving the back line a little bit more protection and hoping that the midfielders can get the job done defensively. It, it's at least a step maybe in the right direction. I think the other thing about the four three two one that taps into something we talked about earlier on the show, it gives you two number 10s. 
It brings Blanco more explicitly to the middle and not just moving to the middle once you claim the ball in the back and he's kind of coming in and finding spots. He's a dual number 10. He's there. I think moving Blanco more towards the center of the transition game and not just looking for opportunities to get him to the center, it's something the team needs right now. I mean, it's just he is the most reliable person on the ball. And like we talked about earlier in this show, if you're not effective in transition beyond just creating chances on the counter, if you're not effectively retaining the ball, allowing your back line to push up, to move that line to a reasonable place and not have to be exposed to those moments of disorganization that happen when you give the ball away 40 yards out and your back line is pushing, then you're in trouble. And they need, I think they need Blanco there in the middle. So that's another virtue to the 4-3-2-1 that... I keep going back and forth in my mind that four three two one or the five three two that we saw at times last year too. But one, I don't think they have a Lawrence Olam like player right now to be in the middle of that five three two. Secondly, the five three two, if you're keeping Blanco and Valeri in the lineup, means Blanco is playing one of those central or defensive threes, and I think he needs to be managing the transition game higher up than that. So that's it'll be interesting to see what they do in Los Angeles. And I think you and I over the next two weeks are going to be saying four three two one a lot. But I wonder how the coaching staff and the players are going to respond to questions about that this these coming weeks because you know it's going to come up. Yeah. Um, I mean, looking a little bit more at personnel, I, I think a lot of the questions we got were, you know, beyond the personnel the Timbers currently have, uh, what they should be doing. So Malcolm asks, you know, and you alluded to this earlier, should a DP center back be the priority instead of the DP forward? And, and then building on that, was it a mistake to let Liam Ridgewell go? Do you want to go first or second on this one? I feel like I have a lot of thoughts. So I mean, I do too. So either way. Um, I don't know that they really had much of a choice on Liam Ridgewell. I mean, of course, they could have just you know offered him a contract that, that allowed him to stay. But I think clearly he wanted to play, which is part of the reason he ended up choosing Hull City in the, in the championship. He went right into the lineup there after a couple weeks training. And I just don't think, given Liam's injury history, his age the depth of center backs on the team, you could guarantee him that. So at that point, how much of a choice was it for the Timbers? I don't know. We'll have to ask Liam Ridgewell that, right? But secondly, for better or worse, the Timbers have brought in four center backs that they feel comfortable with, and they've allocated a decent amount of money to that position. To keep adding resources to that, when you have other places on the roster that needs to be addressed, put you in a position where, okay, if you if you figure out that problem... How much flexibility do you then have to address the other problems? If they had a DP center back, it would probably really help right now. Okay, well, you fix that. What resources do you have going forward to fix the problems in attack that might come up or midfield that might come up? I think for better or worse, they have to work the problem with the talent that they have because I'd be interested to hear your opinion on this. I don't see this as a lack of talent. And at no point in this show or any other previous show have we looked at center back and said lack of talent. The combinations need to be worked out, communication, confidence, all these things, leadership. We've talked about these things. I don't look at Bill Tuiloma or Julio Cascante and say lack of talent. I think they need to work the problem with the players that they have right now. I mean, I, I think they're in a position where that that's sort of their only option. I, I mean, spending money on a DP center back, there's a reason why when the Timbers did that with Liam Ridgewell, that, that's not something you see throughout MLS. I, I mean, as we've said on this show before, that's not where you should be necessarily needing to allocate a designated player spot, especially with TAM uh, as a resource now in MLS. So I don't know that they should be switching to a DP center back, but... 
I, I, I do have questions about whether I, I think the Timbers to some degree are stuck with the personnel they have now. And that's sort of the decision they made in the offseason. They decided yeah. that this was the time to let Liam Ridgewell go. And, and it wasn't as simple as come back. You won't play that much, but come back. We're fine with that. It, it was clearly that Liam Ridgewell wanted to be in a place that he was going to play. So there was there, there had to be an agreement on both sides. Maybe, you know, if, if Caleb Porter was still here, if, if William Ridgewell had a better relationship with the coach, I, I mean, you got to look at last year with being benched by Savaresti. Obviously, yeah. that relationship, even though I think towards the end of the year they worked things out well enough, it, it was not a... a perfect relationship had there been another coach here maybe Liam Ridgewell would have felt more like he was in that coach's plans moving forward I I think that's relevant um we don't know everything that went on behind the scenes and and I do know that towards the end of the season there there weren't negative it wasn't like there was negativity coming from Ridgewell and talking about Savaresi but in terms of thinking he was in Savaresi's future after that season I I think that probably contributed to it I, I I think I think if the Timbers had been in a situation where they decided, you know, Liam Ridgewell's leadership is just so important. Yes, he can come back. Uh, injuries might happen. We'll take the hit cap-wise. Maybe that didn't make sense, but there could have still been a position where get, assuming Ridgewell is probably going to get injured somewhat. I mean, other players would have had opportunities, um, but they could have sought him to line up whenever he was healthy and he would have been sort of that leader on the back line that could have, uh, you know, made sure that things didn't fall apart in the way that this did. So I, I, I think I'm not sure if it was the perfect time to let Liam Ridgewell go. I think at some point they had to because Ridgewell was getting older. He was uh, missing more and more games prior to 2018 with everything that being benched and things like that. He was missing games in 2016 and 2017, a significant amount of games. I, I think he made one year 15 starts, one year 19 starts maybe, um, or maybe even less on those two seasons. But he was missing significant games. So at some point, I think the Timbers had to move on from him. The problem I, I have is that, I and we you talked about earlier, is that they didn't go out and replace him, it seems like, with a player that can step in and be that leader on the back line. Mabiala is not a vocal guy, uh, naturally. Not like Liam Ridgewell is. And, and Claude Dielna has not shown. Uh, I mean, we've only seen him in one game, but he clearly didn't show that he's a player that can step in there and, and be that veteran presence and consistent presence on the back line. Maybe he'll turn into that. Um, but if he doesn't, that that's a disappointing signing for the Timbers. Um, I'll give him more than one game. Yeah, <laughs> It's a little bit unfair to just judge him completely on one game, but they need that veteran leadership from him to sort of replace Ridgewell. And if that doesn't work out, that's a problem. Um, so I, I, that was a long response, but yeah, there's a sorry. Richard Farley level response there. <laughs> sorry, but no. I don't know about a DP center back, but I do have questions about whether um, they should have let Ridgewell go. And more importantly, whether or not they should have, whether they have enough leadership to be able to really have the success they need without Ridgewell. At the same time, I think Malcolm's question is a good example of how no ideas are bad ideas at this point. You have to consider whether they should have, the organization should have stretched a little bit to make, to create a situation where Ridgewell would have stayed. I clearly based on my previous response disagree with that is that a bad thing to consider right now absolutely not the whole idea regarding a designated player center back i disagree with that too is that a bad idea right now no there are no bad ideas right now in fact after one more performance if 
if the Timbers go and show that defensively they don't have the answers after two weeks when they play the Galaxy, these questions are going to look like something that maybe we might agree with at that time. And that feeds into the next question we have from Nick. If you were management, what changes would you make to improve the team? A designated player 9-6, a center back, or something else, or nothing at all? So it's the question that we've brought up before. You have this designated player spot. It's your one way at this point to really improve the roster. Where do you use it? I, I mean, you say it's a one way to improve the roster, but I, I still, and maybe they don't have, given the moves they've made, enough resources to really make another TAM signing at this point. But obviously there are other mechanisms within a True. roster um, in terms of making signings. And I think it that is an option they could have looked at in the offseason to maybe go out and get a TAM level forward and maybe put the dp somewhere else or or something like that i mean they made an active choice not to do that i still think a dp9 is is the place that it makes the most sense to use a designated player spot because you can invest the most amount of money to get a the best player possible in that position it's just you should be able to fill a six and a cb uh center back with a tam spot and get um get plenty of talent out of that i think the most bang for your buck you still go and get a dp9 and i do think i i mean we've talked about it you said blanco's been the the one player that's been sort of stood out the timbers haven't looked great in the attack and they kind of ran through their options in the last few weeks they played a bobasi and polo and then they played a spree and milano and i think a spree and milano were completely ineffective in, in cincinnati i think Abobasi has had moments and he's young and he's growing and you want to give him opportunities. But if you want to be a much better team and have a consistent attacker, I think you do need to make a move at that position. So I'm not, I I think I still lean towards a DP nine and I don't quite know what other uh, resources the Timbers have available right now, but it wouldn't be terrible to have seen them make another move at a different position. I'm not sure if they can do it at this point now. I think they're stuck with the center back they got, which was Dielna. And if that doesn't pan out, that's going to look pretty uh, bad for the Timbers. Yeah, but I think your correction to the way I frame the question is a really good one. They can make trades. Yeah. They have this level of talent at T2 that I've been talking about for the last year and a half that if you're watching T2 looks pretty good right now. They can, re, re, they can incorporate Marvin Luria. They can incorporate Eric Williamson. They can rely on some of these other players that are down there. There are internal options. I guess that goes beyond the scope of the question. But for me to frame it, to interpret that question as if, all right, where do you spend the designated player? There are other options. And at the same time, I think that feeds into my answer. The scariest part about this question for me is that I think the team needs more information. Three weeks ago, it looked very clear. Designated player attacking player they have this place on the roster that looks like you can not only need more depth there but have some versatility to give the team more options it's a place where you naturally would spend that money anyway makes perfect sense a month later whoa midfield has diego chara and question marks back line has question marks should the team consider using the money in those places and the scariest part to me is that we don't know the answer in two or three more games it might look like Signing a designated player attacker was a little bit rash, that they should have saved their money and addressed yeah. this issue. So I don't I don't know that there's an answer for that. And I don't know that a good answer is, well, let's just wait and see. Because at that point, if this problem persists and you get the information you needed, then you're kind of in this worst case scenario. Although even then, 
say let's say the Timbers do go 0 and 5. They get the information that I need and they go out and they get a defender or a you know, like a true ball winning number six that frees up Chara to have his impact all over the field. And then they come back and they win three out of their last seven road games. Then they come home with nine points in 12 games after this road trip. And you and I had talked so much about how like, you know, that's not ideal, but that's survivable. I mean, I guess maybe I just talked myself into the like get more information thing. That doesn't feel right to me though. Cause I think the team will be so lacking in confidence at that point. Yeah. I, I just don't know. I don't. I don't know. That was such a good question, and Nick, that I don't have an answer for it. So let's move on to Lewis's question. Unless you have something to add, Lewis asked a question that we've been seeing a lot over these last yeah. three weeks. When does Jorge Villafaña get benched? He looked like the weakest, weakest link in Cincinnati. Also, Tui Luma looked like the best timber on the pitch. Does he start alongside Chara in central midfield against the Galaxy since Guzman hasn't looked good? Pick wherever you want to go with that. Second question, first question. Smash them together if you want, Jamie. <laughs> Tell me what you think. I I don't know if Viafania looked like the weakest link in Cincinnati. I think there was a lot of issues. But I, I will agree in L.A. Um, he looked like one of maybe the two weakest links. What was links. the weakest link, Jamie? <laughs> I, I, there was... I, I could go to reasons why... I, I think I could make arguments for a lot of players on the pitch. Let me think about it. <laughs> oh, I guess I do have a pretty... No... I was about to say I have a pretty strong opinion about one player being the weakest link, but I, I do think, yeah, two or three players now come to mind. Yeah. But I, at the same time, they're not all defenders or like even defensive midfielders, too. We talked about the transition game. Yeah. So we have to consider those things, too. Yeah. Um, but I, I think Viafania hasn't looked good. I don't think he looked good in preseason. I, I thought he was one of the two weakest links probably in LA him and Guzman um I, I and I, I don't think he, he particularly proved anything in Cincinnati to make me feel like he has to be in the lineup right now I think next game um if I were to write the lineup or make a prediction I, I think that Maria will come in and I think it's going to be via, uh via Fania going to the bench and, and Zarek Valentin um, staying on the pitch because uh, along with Derek Valentin, I think being adequate um, in, in some of these games, I, I think being at least playing better than Viafani on the other side, I, I think his vocal leadership is something the Timbers who are lacking, so, so lacking in that vocal leadership um, need. Yeah. Uh, so I don't see Valentin coming off. So I, I think next game is when we won't see Viafani in the lineup. And I, I think had the turf not been an issue, I, I think it would have been in Cincinnati. Um, Tui Loma, I, I, yeah. I, I mean, I think he's going to stay in the lineup given the options right now one way or another. I just think that, that it may be him coming back into uh, into a center back position. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably more likely. I think there are some question marks then about who is going to start alongside Chara or, or which two midfielders are going to start alongside Chara because I think, as we talked about, I think a 4-3-2-1 is pretty likely. If the team started Tui Loma and Cascante in central defense and had Chara, Paredes, and Flores in midfield, I, I'd be okay with that. Yeah. Flores, to me, is the type of player right now that is going to get a job done. We've talked about this so yeah. many times before. He's not going to go out there and get you three assists. But if you need somebody who's going to do a defensive job in midfield, that's the guy. So long-term, though, because as you said, the complicating factor for the Galaxy game is Larry's Mabiala's red yeah. card, and Tuiloma might end up there. Long-term, 
To me, Tui Loma seems like the ball-playing, ball-winning six that allows Chara to play higher up the field, uses instincts, cover so much ground. And somebody like Christian, or even at that point, maybe moving Blanco into that, that role, works for me. All of these things go back to something we talked about last week, though. What do you do with Valeri? When you're making these changes or you feel like you have to make these changes, going to a three-person midfield. To me, going to a three, true three-person midfield is something that the coaching staff has to consider then what do you do with Valeri? Last year, we saw him deployed as a forward alongside yeah. whoever happened to be there at the starting at the time. Do you go with that that route? Yeah. Okay, if you go with that route, you're basically saying that Blanco then has to be one of the central midfielders. Well, if you're worried about the transition game, Blanco would be a better option as one of those forwards. Do you go with Valeri and Blanco and kind of play dueling false knights? <laughs> I don't know, because it seems to me that having Jeremy Abobasi in the lineup has been a positive, uh, even for the critiques of his play. Um, I think he was much better than Lucas Milano was this yes. weekend. <laughs> so to me, going to a three-person midfield is very important from my point of view, but that only brings up more questions about what do you do with Diego Valeri? Yeah, I mean, I think you most likely sort of use him as a second forward. I, I think that's um, probably the best position for him. I also think that at some point during this road trip, he's not going to be in the lineup. I, I mean, I, I don't think he's going to play all 12 of these games. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's been so effective, as we've said. I mean, that he has to be in the lineup. I mean, he's Diego Valeri. He's the captain of this team. The Timbers know what he can do. Right. But if age is a factor and he's his performance is just not up to the level that it has been in the past, maybe giving him rest more often is going to help facilitate him playing better in the games where he is on the field. Yes, and that's why I think for now you go to the 4-3-2-1 and have him and Blanco underneath the Bobasi pick out three other midfielders there. There's no way in my mind you give up on Valeri after three games. Yeah. But at the same time, it has to be talked about because I think rightfully last year through the first half of the season where a lot of times we sat here and talked about how Sebastian Blanco is becoming the most important attacking player on this team. And then towards the second half of the season, hey, there's a Diego Valeri we know. And then, of course, in the playoffs, he's as good as any player in the playoffs. Uh, Blanco was also in that category. All right. Is the same thing going to happen this year? We have to keep our minds open to it since that's what happened in 2018. But part of keeping our minds open to it is being realistic about what's happening right now. And like you said, I think they have to look for opportunities to shake things up a little bit. Uh, Let's go to Sean's question. Sean asks, have teams figured out Geo's game plan or are the Timbers just playing badly? I mean, anytime, anytime things are this bad, Jamie, I always answer, it's probably all of the above. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... To, to some degree, I, I, I think it's hard to see exactly what Gio's game plan is, uh, what he really wanted out of the team, because there's so much going wrong. I, I mean, I think there's clearly some ideas out there uh, that um, he's trying to get the team to do, but they're not executing. Yeah. And, and so I don't really think it's easy to say that uh, it's the game plan. And I, I know, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of people say the high press isn't working. I, I don't think the Timbers have been doing. I, I, I don't, don't really think that's the game plan that's been out there or, or something they've really done all that often. Maybe it's sort of a modified high press where they've done it in moments. But this yeah. team is not playing a, a full on high press by any means right now. So I don't think it's a change to the high press. Clearly, they were trying that out in preseason, but they haven't, at least to that degree, tried it out during the, the regular season so far. Um I, I think it's more on the side of the Timbers playing badly because I, I just don't think that there's been enough execution to really say that it's the game plan falling apart. I tend to agree with you. At the same time, the fact that teams are so easily able to go middle out or just changing the point mm-hmm. of attack and we're seeing things fall apart a little bit. Um, 
if it's not the game plan, then at some point the game plan needs to adjust and then it becomes the game plan if you don't. But I completely agree with you. I think a couple of things that I see about high line or the like pressing high, like we're talking about with the transition, sometimes the team just doesn't have an opportunity to set up either. And then against LAFC, when I'm review, reviewing that tape, the times that they are able to organize their press, a lot of times they're forcing turnovers, they're forcing teams to play long. It's it's everything's going like you want from that press. I just don't watch these games and think, oh, that's the high line. Oh, that's the press. I think, wow, that was a breakdown there. It's not schematic. It's the players kind of not executing or being overloaded or, or what have you. Um, Logan asks, what do you think the biggest issue is that's causing the breakdown in Geo's system? Well, I mean, I think you, you should take this one because you were trying to point to some specific areas where you feel like the system might be more of the role, whereas I, I think I'm more on the side that <laughs> I don't know if it's the system. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess after hearing you particularly, I um, I kind of side with you that it's player execution as much as anything. But at the point where you kind of say, okay, if the players aren't going to execute, then what do you have to do? And I think they're getting eaten up in white spaces. So at one, access to those white spaces has to be prevented. A lot of that is ball ball retention. A lot of that is just having a midfield that can adjust to those things or having a scheme that will allow the fullbacks to get out there and actually defend in different ways. So we kind of talked about this in me advocating the 4-3-2-1, just having an extra midfielder that can help keep the ball wide or drop into that fullback space and allow that fullback to either mark tightly or be more aggressive about getting out to people. Um, it also prevent the overloads that we've seen cost them multiple goals. And it'll also get p- midfielders in the penalty box on the weak side of play. So when the ball does go from one side to the other, you're better prepared to defend against that. So I guess that's probably, to answer Logan's question, maybe not the biggest issue, but those are things that I think address the biggest issue is that they're just getting eaten up in these areas of the field, allowing too much access to them and not being able to prevent that partially because they can't keep the ball. So obviously we've talked, we talked a little bit about this, but, but obviously the Timbers attack. Um, Well, well, the defense I I think has been the most obvious thing to discuss. I I mean, the last two games the Timbers have scored once and I don't think they particularly had a, a, a ton of chances in Cincinnati save for sort of a, the stretch where they had the two in a row in the first right. half. Donna asks, how much is a lackluster offense hurting the defense? Seems uh, we want to pin losses on the defense, but watching the game, no one in the midfield or front line seemed to be able to keep possession. I think this is another example is there are no b- bad ideas. And certainly if the Timbers were being better in attack and forcing teams to reevaluate the trade-offs that they have to do about being aggressive as opposed to being conservative in defense, things would be different. I think we saw that through a large portion of the LAFC match where even when they were down one nothing, the Timbers looked like a team that, hey, we can't just throw our fullbacks forward because they're actually playing pretty well right now. I don't think we ever saw that against Cincinnati, partially because when Cincinnati scored their first goal, you could just sense that they were like, all right, we're going to sit in here. We're going to make them do something. And it took the Timbers a little bit of time to figure out where the new spaces were going to be. But I do think that you can't just give the offense a pass because the defense hasn't been executing because it hasn't been a situation where these teams are just having this onslaught against the Tim- Timbers. It's been moments. I do agree with the players and Giovanni Savarese when they said the moments have been a problem. At, when those moments aren't happening, it's on the attack to do something. And I don't think the attack has been terrible. Uh, four goals in three games isn't a terrible number. And then Spencer Ritchie had a couple of good saves. But at the same time, when you're talking about a complete team, when the defense isn't doing it, 
the attack has to step up. And I think it's fair to say at this point, the attack hasn't proven capable of offsetting the deficiencies at the back. Yeah, I thought there was a stretch after um, I, I thought Cincinnati had control of the game in the beginning and then they scored in the 15th minute. I thought there was a stretch after that where the Timbers, obviously I think Cincinnati sort of dropped back and sort of was willing to absorb pressure to try to maintain that lead. But I, I think that there was a stretch where the Timbers were knocking on the door and it seemed like the attack was going to figure something out. But overall, I, I don't think the attack has been good enough and, and dangerous enough. I, I didn't think Milano or Espria were effective. I didn't didn't think those changes panned out. I'd prefer to see Polo and Abobasi given those options back in the lineup. Um, if if that was the formation they were going in, obviously that might change as well. Um, but yeah, I, I mean the midfield turning over the ball, major problem, um, and, and that's you know part of the attack. At least that's not the back line. Um, and if the attack was able to keep the ball for ex- more extended periods, then the defense would have less periods where they were absorbing pressure and, and um, trying to, to deal with danger from the opponent. So, yeah, this isn't all in the defense. This is a really, really a whole team uh, issue right now. Uh, the, the attack, I think, has shown more promise <laughs> maybe than the defense overall. But um, the, the last two games, I, I think, um, you know, Obviously, they scored three in Colorado, but you ha- there hasn't been much, all that much that's been very exciting about what we've yeah. seen from the attack. I mean, I think the attacking performance was fine in LA, not good enough in Cincinnati, clearly not yeah. good enough in Cincinnati. Um, and then the Colorado one, I'm just going to stick to what we said after that game, kind of irrelevant, to be honest yeah. with you. Um, Chizops, we already answered this question, but I'm going to read it because I think it deserves to be out there. As much of a problem as the weak defense is, what about the penchant for players such as Valeri to give the ball away on a simple pass in midfield? Yeah, we've talked about that, but it's good to have your opinion out there on that. Also, let's go to the lineup changes because this was the talk of all the fan base in the hour before kickoff. How do you evaluate the five changes that Giovanni Savarese made to his 11? Yeah, I, I think for the most part, they didn't work out. I, I thought that Tuiloma w- was overall a, a bright spot. Mm-hmm. Paredes, I thought, w- did overall okay. I, I mean, I yeah. think I, I want to be careful with that because I think they both also made mistakes and there were turnovers and there were significant mistakes in the midfield as well. But I don't think either of those players... Um, had terrible games. I, I thought Milano was com- I, completely ineffective. I, I, I don't think what Savaresti was hoping uh, he would provide, he provided. Um, I, there, I think Abobasi was a better option when he came in the game. I thought Espria didn't do much in the attack either. Uh, neither of those players, I think, won themselves spots, and I would, wouldn't expect to see either of them in the lineup. And, and I, I didn't think Dielna looked good enough. Um, I, I mean, game one uh, with this team, but I, I, I think... When they made that signing, I was definitely expecting more, uh, and we'll see how it pans out. But it it was an expected move, and, and that one definitely didn't pan out for me. I almost entirely agree with you. I think, I'll put it like this, I think Tui Loma and Paredes put themselves in positions to be considered again. Dielna, Espria, and Milano, I think, put themselves in position where they need to prove themselves outside of games again. Um I'm not as hard on Espria as some people were, certainly missing that chance early. I guess I'm not as critical of that, but people would have preferred he angled <laughs> that ball a little bit. The fact that he even got in that position, he was a little bit more aggressive than other players. So at least that's something. I mean, at this point where you're saying, oh, he's more aggressive than other players, that kind of shows you where the bar is <laughs> right now. But I mean, it is something to be said for him that other players aren't providing at least. So I guess that's the silver lining around his performance. But certainly, Mal- Lucas did not give us any 
reason to think that he sh- he should be really competing with yeah. Jeremy Bobasi at all. And then Dielna, look, you you said it earlier. We said it after last week's performance. We want to try to keep these ninety minute evaluations in context, but that ninety minute evaluation did not reflect, I think, positively on somebody who should be competing for a starting spot. And like we both said, we both think that Julio and Bill Tuiloma would be a good combination to look at for the Galaxy game. Yeah. Um, so, last question. It's something that you alluded to earlier in the show. The Timbers are 5, 14, and 12 in March since joining Major League Soccer. Three of those wins came in 2017. David asks the natural question, are there similarities to the start from last year? Are the answers this year the same as last year? And I'm going to ask another question. If so... Why haven't those answers been used yet? Yeah. I, I mean, it, I, I think it's a major concern that the Timbers... I, I think the Timbers have tried to change up their preseason routine, have tried to make some efforts there that, that maybe help them get up on a, the front foot to start the season a little bit better, but that clearly hasn't worked, and this needs to continue to be something for the team to address because ultimately, yes, you want to be playing your best soccer at the end of the season, but points in March are just as important as points in uh, September, I guess now with the season ending a little earlier. I I mean, points are points and you don't want to be always near the end, bottom of the conference in March and have to be um, at the top, very top of your game throughout the entirety of the end of the season. Um, So that is a problem that, that clearly the Timbers haven't been able to address. Yes, there are similarities from last year to this year. I mean, Too the many. Timbers started on the road. They start on the road this year. I, I'm concerned um, because the answer last year to some degree was returning home and to the comfort of Providence Park and using that win against, uh, was it Minnesota, yeah. to sort of jumpstart a, a good run. They don't get to do that this year. They're going to have to solve this on the road. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the the home game or the the game where they can solve this year is when they play San Jose because if they don't win that I I'm going to throw my laptop against the wall or San something. San Jose everybody's home game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we really I shouldn't mean, be joking around about that because as Giovanni Savarese said last week there are no easy games yeah, in this league. I mean but that was the reminder on Sunday. Their easiest game in, in right. until they return home. Um, obviously, if they can sort it out in LA um, in two weeks, that would be even better. But I think the break um, that they had last year was helpful. Uh, there yeah. definitely was a change, and maybe the break this year will lead to something. Um, they certainly, I think, are going to try to approach it similarly and try to use that uh, time on the practice field as effectively as possible. Um but I don't. I think there are also problems that they weren't necessarily dealing with last year. I mean, last year they had. I mean, Armenteros was a huge part of that turnaround. He kind of came on strong and started scoring in, in the numbers he started scoring with. I don't know if they have a player that's suddenly going to start to do that. Um, Liam Ridgel wasn't wasn't in the lineup. I mean, he got benched. So. Um, but Mambiala stepped up. Maybe that will happen this year, um, and maybe either Cascante or Hulu, uh, Cascante or Tuilum will step up alongside him. That that did happen last year. Yeah. Um, so there are some similarities, and maybe some of the answers are the same. But uh, it's a different year too. I mean, the, the biggest similarity that I think is scary is this penchant to turn off in moments. That is a lesson they should have learned from Chicago and Orlando last year. That's a lesson that they took seriously at that point. So uh, I think. Larry Mabiala talked about this last week, that his frustration that they're kind of back in the same situation and having to go through that process again, kind of said openly that, you know, I, I, I thought we wouldn't have to do this again, but here we are. Yeah, here they here you guys are. And 
I think it taps into um, something that I want to address from Heath, who asked a question that we're going to address as we start looking forward to the Galaxy game. What is the mood around the club? You know, I think a couple of things. There wasn't a huge sense of urgency, I think. There was a sense of, we've been here before. I'm talking about last week. We've been here before. We know how to deal with this. Let's maintain perspective. Okay, well, now there needs to be a sense of urgency because you didn't turn it, you didn't turn it around. In fact, the performances are arguably getting worse. Uh, secondly, you talked about the changes in preseason. Obviously, this year, they went down to Costa Rica. Last year, they were in Tucson for two two-week stretches. They broke it up with a week back home. They stayed in Tucson the whole time. They were away from home for six weeks, five and a half weeks. I think it was 26 days uh, twenty-six days in a row. Maybe, maybe. Maybe I'm counting the last week of training here as part of that, so maybe that's where my numbers are wrong. But either way, they were away from home for a block, and they came back here and then started this usual routine you have when, okay, you have three or two or three days training here, and then you're in a flight, and then you're playing these games, et cetera, et cetera. And they're going to be, after this week, back on that routine for eight, nine weeks. And you heard... Giovanni Savarese in his post-match comments talk about this. Jeff Antonella, too. They said, you know, hey, I think we need to be home. Well, Antonella said that. Giovanni Savarese reminded people that they've been away for a long, long, long time. I think you have to ask, should they have come back home at some point in preseason like they did the year before? Now, the counter-argument to that is that it ended up breaking up preseason a little bit. Once guys got back to Portland and they went back down to Arizona, that second trip to Arizona, they were like, I just want to be home. Like, look, we, we got a taste of home. Uh, we're we're going to do our jobs while we're here, but it really feels like like we are missing home right now. So two postseasons in a row, two preseasons in a row, they have come out of it not performing like they're ready for game one. They don't have an answer for preseasons yet, it seems like. Yeah. Jamie, so- let's go to another question. I talked long enough. I'm going to throw this one to you. <laughs> Changing our focus to March 31st and the LA Galaxy game in La- in Carson, not Los Angeles, as some people would point out. <laughs> How important is the week off for a hard-traveling Timbers team to regroup their defense and stop hemorrhaging goals? Yeah, I, I think that if there's going to be an answer, that's going to be probably the biggest thing that leads to it. Just the extra time at home with their families in this training environment, not traveling, not dealing with those outside, um, just the problems that come with travel and the days that you miss on the the hours you miss on the training field. They have a chance to to put in two good weeks of practice. Now they're going to be missing a few players for international duty. It's not going to be, this week's going to be a little bit strange for them in terms of that. But overall, they still have these two weeks to really focus on what's going wrong and Savarese to lay out a plan of this is how we're going to fix it. And now let's practice, practice, practice that so you can go out and execute the game plan. I think as much as anything, if I'm going to keep harping on this confidence thing, and guess what? I'm going to. Getting people away from the field for a little bit to develop an an identity that is independent of these losses, that maybe they can start to come back and when they rejoin their routine, feel like, I feel like myself now. I feel like I've reset. And the version of myself that I think I am is somebody that knows he's a good soccer player. So I, I, I don't know. There's always a debate as to whether you go that route or you just keep the guys working as hard as possible, keep them trying to work on the problems. For me right now, 
I don't know. I was about to say I would go to the give them a break route, but I'm not a coach of these teams. I haven't taken these courses. I'm not a master of psychology. I do think there's something to be said, though, of giving these guys some time to feel like themselves again. Yeah, I mean, the practice schedule for this week, at least from the media available, it hasn't come out. But as far as I know, the Timbers didn't train today. So at least that's one extra day off, unless they had just a closed session um, that wasn't available to the media. But they took Monday off as usual. It seems like they at least took an extra day. We'll see what happens tomorrow. Um so maybe it is good to give them a little bit of time to regroup, but but ultimately they're still going to end up having more practice days um, than they have been having in these lead-ups to these games. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go to the next question is from Ben. We've talked about this a little bit, but let's talk about it in the context of how Ben puts it. Will the Timbers finally return to their defend and counter style that worked so well last year? The reason I love the phrasing of that, Jamie, is because I think we naturally saw last year people worried about the team's identity or the team's long-term plan playing out of a more uh, defensive is not quite the word, but definitely I would say reactive a team that sat back a little bit, looked to counter uh, basically try to draw the opponents to them in order to create the opportunities going forward. So to tie that back into Ben's question, will we finally see the team return to that because by and large that was successful last year. I think the team has to return to what was successful. I, I don't care if it's the, the prettiest game. I don't care if it's the, the system that Savarese wanted to play when he came here um, or, or had hoped to play. If it's what's going to work with the personnel and the team has pretty much the same personnel as last year, they have to do it. They have to get points. They have to put in a good performance. Even if they were to lose in L.A., it has to be a good performance, as you said, for the confidence. Um, but just to, for them to see that they are that they are a better team than they're showing and to start seeing that they're making progress. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it is going to be really focused on putting in an organized, composed, consistent defensive performance and, and probably the counterattack being the main way to, to try to get goals on the other side. Jamie, let's group these last couple of questions together uh, in regards to looking forward. Jared asks what everybody is wondering, what now? But Stefano drills in a little bit more. Given this run, if things don't begin to turn around on the 31st, what are the odds of a winless road run to start 2019? Will that be a season ender? So if they go 0-12, or even, he said winless. So let's say they go 0-7-5, five points. It, it could be, I mean, obviously it's not season-ending, but you would need another record-breaking stretch in order to yeah. recover from that. I, I mean, I, I think if they go winless and there's not just a ton of ties along the way, mm-hmm. um, if it's something like that, I, I think it's all but season-ending. I, yeah. I mean, I think they can recover from it, and they have, a, what is it, 10 out of their final 12 Games at home or something like that. Yeah, it's maybe 11 close. or 12 or something like that. I get, the, thorn, I get the thorns and c- confused with oh. the Timbers. Um, okay. They both yeah. have long road stretches then the season. So, But either way, they, they had all those home games then to really pick up points. Um, so I don't know if, as long as it's mathematically possible, it's possible. We saw what Seattle did last year, and the Timbers will have the benefit of playing at home. But man, yeah, it, it, it's they'll be in a position where you, you're thinking that this might be the end of the season if they do something like that. For me, it, and I alluded to it earlier, I, I think that it's going to be really disappointing if they have another bad appearance of the Galaxy, especially since they had an extra week off to sort of prepare that game. And, and that really leaves questions about their ability to really diagnose the problem and, and be able to solve it. But that San Jose game is sort of the turning point for me. If they can't go to San Jose and get a win, uh, and, and that's coming off a poor performance of the Galaxy, I think that's going to be very demoralizing. Um, on the other hand, I think that gives them, as Cincinnati was supposed to, another opportunity to potentially pick up that first win. I think 
going winless in 12 games says the most dangerous part is what it says about the quality of your team as much as it is where you sit in the standings like going 12 games without a win that's against a schedule that i think you and i would have looked at at before the start and go you know they can maybe get three or four wins out of this yeah. and be in decent shape well a couple of those opportunities for wins that we would have circled have gone uh, you're, you identified another one that is pretty clear. The Vancouver game is another one that I think you and I yep. think is winnable. If they go through all those without a win, yeah, their season maybe is in a point where they'd have to do something miraculous. But the need for miracles or the fact that you perf- didn't perform so well against this this cross-section of the league, to me, that would be more important because basically it would say, you're not a very good team. And you alluded to Seattle. Some of these times when Seattle made these big turnarounds, they required big decisions. Like the one year they went out and made four signings, including yep. Roman Torres and Nelson Valdez. And while that got them into the playoff last year, that year, they also made some commitments that kind of killed their, didn't kill their cap situation, but hamstrung them a little bit going forward. Um, they brought in Raul Ruiz Diaz last year. I mean, these are all things that are big changes. Uh, bringing in Nico Lodero the year that they did. I mean, the Timbers have been in this situation before too, bringing in Liam Ridgewell. I mean, these are these are big decisions. And so if you get to that point, in order to turn around, you might need another big decision. And quite frankly, that's not where this roster should be. I don't think anybody really thought that this roster was in a place where they would need a big decision to be relevant. The big decision was going to be getting them to compete with Kansas City and Seattle when they bring in an attacker that was going to be a viable option. If they're in a situation where the big decision is going to be one to get them back to relevance, whoa, something happened. Something bad happened. So moving on a little bit, maybe we can talk about something. I don't know if this is good news or bad news because, as you alluded, this actually takes people away from the team for almost two weeks. But the Timbers have a number of players going on international duty, uh, some of them at their senior national team level, some of them at the U23 level. Uh, Christian Paredes and Andy Polo are being called into Paraguay and Peru, respectively. As far as U.S. internationals, there are three players going to U23 camp. Jeremy Abobasi probably isn't that much of a surprise. Greg Barhalter said a couple of weeks ago why certain players who are within the relevant age are going to U23 camp as opposed to senior team camp. Jeremy Abobasi falls into that. Eric Williamson back in the U national team fold. And one of the younger players in camp is going to be Marco Farfan. And for anybody that has any pride in local soccer, that that's great news. Yeah, that might be the most positive thing we've said in the last uh, whatever, 45 minutes or however long we've been talking. Well, congratulations to Marco in particular because this he has been called into U camps before, but it's been a little bit of time. And he is uh, he is going to be one of the younger players competing with players that are one and a half, two years older than him. So it'll be a really, really good opportunity to see uh, where he ranks against them. Not that he is not used to competing against good players. And in fact, in a lot of ways, the talent at the U23 camp is going to be less than the talent he faces every day in Beaverton against the Timbers. But it will be a great, great opportunity to see how he how he ranks against them. And given the start that he's had to the season, I'm very, very encouraged or hopeful to see what Eric Williamson does because... Uh, particularly this weekend in San Antonio. He had a really good game this weekend, and Marvin Loria is going to get a lot of the plaudits because he scored two goals, but Eric Williamson was involved in a lot this weekend. Uh, Two final questions before we hit a little bit of thorns, although we don't have much to talk about there. Um, 
Jared wants to know, and this didn't necessarily fit anywhere, but it's an interesting question. At what point does this team fully become Geo's team? Is that something we can confidently say today, or or is he merely managing Caleb Porter's roster until the Timbers transition to a new core player? This is so your question, not mine, because the entire time Geo has been here, I've been employed with the club and been able to see that. I didn't have that perspective when Caleb was here, so it's natural for me to only compare Geo to a hypothetical. But your perspective has been the same from both places. So from where you're sitting, what do you think? I mean, Caleb, Caleb Porter built the core of this team. Uh, I mean, when he came in, they completely revamped the roster. He didn't really inherit much uh, of anything. I mean, obviously Chara has been here since year one. Um, but outside of, of essentially Chara, um, during the Caleb Porter era, they completely turned over the entire roster and, and Savarasi for the most part, has inherited that roster. And even when he came on, uh, by the time he was hired, they'd already made some of the, the signings that the club uh, that the club made last offseason. And they'd already made the decision to trade Darlington Nagby. So I think the core of this team is still Caleb Porter's team. It's a team that he built. Um, I, I think that, you know, Sovereign SC has a lot of reasons to like some of the players they have. And they weren't going to obviously change out the core. Um, but we haven't really seen Gio, I don't think, and given the limited off-season moves, we haven't really seen Gio build his team, um, just sort of build his style and try to implement his formation. But in terms of the roster, I don't think there's been a ton of changes you can really look at and say, that's Gio's guy. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, I think that's good perspective. I mean, I said good perspective because that's just where my stupid transition led me to. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting for me to hear that perspective because these aren't things that I think about. But, I mean, everything you said is obviously very true. So let's go on to uh, John's question. So we didn't fill holes in the offseason at center back. Both Diego's are getting older, and we don't have a real number nine. Ooh, do we really have a shot at making the playoffs? I think this speaks to something that's going to become more and more of a question if the Timbers can't turn things around. And that's... Did we just overestimate what this Timbers team was? I, I mean, they out they overperformed uh, in uh, the playoffs last year based on, on sort of the season that they had, if you look at their regular season performance. Mm-hmm. And was that the Timbers coming together and sort of living up to their potential and proving, uh, proving everyone wrong? Or was that just them overperforming in, and now they're just, you know, going back to the mean? I, I mean... It's a real question. Yeah, it um, is. It's a good question. Uh, and I think it's going to become more of a question because if they essentially just had a, a outlier end to the season last year and they didn't do much to change that roster except get older and, and lose their most vocal uh, center back, then this team's not looking very good if you right. want to look at it that way. Um, I think this team should still have a good shot at making playoffs with the talent they have. I mean, seven teams in the conference are going to make playoffs. I, I think I can easily look at the Timbers roster and... and give you reasons why uh, I think they're better than than enough teams to be in the top seven. Um, but for me, it's more that those points are going to become important points if the Timbers can't turn this around because they do speak to whether this, whether the management, whether the team, whether us as analysts just completely overestimated the talent that this team had. So again, all ideas are good ideas here. I will say for the bad start they've had, the Timbers are three points out of a playoff spot right now. Seven teams in each conference make it. Uh, so I think this is a question that you have to consider. But if the Timbers don't make up the playoffs, it's uh, not only a disastrous season, but I 
I don't want to see unforeseen disaster because we are seeing signs of, wow, this continues. This is, this is untenable. But if, I mean, if people are predicting the Timbers don't make the playoffs, I, I think that's a little bit rash. Um, I like, we don't have a real number nine. Look, Jeremy Obobese, I consider him a real number nine. Is he, uh, one of the best number nines in the league? No, but I think he's, I don't think he's a bad player at all. I mean, I think a team can win with Jeremy Obobese as their number nine. You just have to, you have to realize that you have to make that up elsewhere. Um, the Diego's are getting older. Look, we've talked about Valeria, but we've also talked about Chara. I don't really see Chara, any evidence that Chara is slowing down and didn't fill the holes at center back in the off season. I completely agree with that, but I think as we've discussed, it's more than just going out and getting another good player. It's about getting the player that will fit in because what they're missing right now is the chemistry and the combination more than anything else beyond just having a talented player there. So, yeah, I think the evidence at this point is that they didn't find that, but the the thing about finding somebody that's going to fit in as far as chemistry and communication goes is that you don't really know if they're fit in until they're here. So that's a tough one. But John, yeah, I absolutely agree. All of those things are good questions at this point. We've had so many questions at this point, Jamie. We are 70 minutes into this one. I think we could have gone for longer. Yeah. But let's go ahead and transition to the thorns right now. Do that for a little bit because there's not a lot of thorns to talk about. But we'll talk about the Timbers more next week. Let's talk about the thorns because we actually have some games coming up on Sunday. The second game at Marlow Field after uh, the rain and the U23s play is Chicago and Portland. Uh, and that's got to be Rory Dames calling you right now to give you his <laughs> view on his Chicago team. Um Let's talk about the Thorns, though. I know uh, most people are wanting some updates on this. Quite frankly, updates from preseason training are not going to be that glamorous. So let's wait until Sunday when we get to see them and we can talk about the Thorns play next week. But the players that are coming back, they're starting to trickle in. Who yeah. Who is returning to the team? Well, they haven't either. Like I said, this has been a very slow beginning of the week from, from my perspective as someone who's always out at training. Um, they have not had a training so far, at least an open one. Uh this season so we had this week so we haven't seen who's there but they did release an updated preseason roster i think two trialists were taken off um based on that roster but based on what it said it, it looked like the australians have returned it looked like dagny brindis daughter was in camp it, it essentially looks like every player um and i don't know if you have an update on this it, it looked like every player that's on the roster is there minus sandra Yu, uh who's not on the roster actually that was I guess I should say that we expected in preseason. Right. So Ellie Carpenter came back into town late last week. Uh, Haley Rosso did also, though not in time to actually train at all. And towards the end of last week, they had um, days where they were together, which weren't training days. One day they were testing, uh, doing physical testing. Another day there were some scrimmages behind the scenes. Um, and Dagny Brignard's daughter is now in town. The one person that is not in town that should be here soon is Caitlin Ford, as well as Andresinha is not in town also. So slowly getting the band back together. I think this is pretty much the rate at which the team expected people to come in. They knew that Caitlin Ford and Dagny Brignard's daughter had paperwork that was going to keep them out of the country for a little bit longer. C'est la vie with internationals. Uh, but things are kind of on schedule. You, you mentioned Sandra Yu. She is not in. That's somebody that I obviously have been talking up for quite some time. So I personally think if Sandra doesn't end up coming in, that's, you know, eats into the midfield depth a little bit and gets it to where the emergence or of Gabby Seiler becomes a little bit more important for those World Cup months. Uh, but as far as people coming into town, I think the Thorns are pretty much on the track that everybody should expect. Yeah, and I, I think it's likely that that first preseason game against uh, Chicago is when the Thorns will be the, the closest to their full roster and be able to maybe see what a best Thorns lineup to some degree looks like. After that, 
Um, and probably for the second and third game, um, they might not have their internationals anymore or people will be trickling back out for the next uh, international window. But if, if people are trying to see what I, I assume is going to be close to the Thorns' top lineup, I would, I would recommend, I, I think, tuning into that Sunday game against the Red Stars. And for people's information, just like last year, there's going to be a pretty good gap between the kickoff times. It's not going to be back-to-back games this weekend. Uh, the first match between the Rain and the U23s kicks off at 11.30 and the Thorns matches in the evening. So um, it's not a situation where one ticket is going to get you into both games. They're going to clear out the stadium and let another crowd in. But... Hey, you're getting some live soccer, not only with the Thorns on Sunday, but T2 is hosting Las Vegas this weekend up at Merlo Field. First competitive home game of the season. Uh, T2 has four points through two games this year, coming off a very good win over San Antonio this weekend. Three to one was the result. Marvin Lavia, two goals, made the team of the week. Um, Let's stick with the Thorns here. You mentioned that we have one game to kind of evaluate their best team. And in that sense, Jamie, I want to throw this to you. Like How... How much can we really read into anything? I mean, last year, I think that almost everybody from the first 11 ended up playing against the U23s, and they got beaten by the U23s, and obviously we didn't learn much about that from that game. Yeah, I, I don't think you can learn much from uh, a preseason game. I, I think, assuming Ford is back by that time, it would be nice to see how she's progressed after a good season in Australia. It's really nice, would be really nice to see Haley Rosso back on the field uh, after last year. It would be interesting to see if Lindsay Rand is past her quad injury and if Catherine Reynolds is at a point where she can see minutes things like that I I think are kind of the takeaways that um, I'd be looking for going to the preseason game but but for the most part I'm pretty confident in, in, in at this point given that the core stay together in, in understanding what this top thorns lineup can do when they're all healthy and in the lineup I don't think I need a preseason game to tell me my feelings one way or another on it yeah, and just like with the the Timbers, we're going to have to wait till the games actually count <laughs> yeah. because none of us saw this coming in preseason for the Timbers, and it just goes to show you that there's, as much as we can get excited about the season approaching, there's really almost nothing sometimes you can learn from the te- preseason. In fact, it's kind of like ends up being misinformation a lot of times. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, so we're not going to do any predictions this week. Uh, there's no Timbers game this weekend. So if you need your soccer fixed, uh, fix, as Richard said, uh, there's Thorns preseason or T2 um, going on. Next week, we'll predict the Timbers versus Galaxy. The fantasy update, we do have an update on that uh, for this week. In, in third place, we have Meatloaf. Uh, in second place, we have Crowder's Mug Club. Uh, and in first place, we have Timber's Beast. Uh, that is Mac. Uh, so it looks like those changed, uh, I think, completely since last week. Obviously, second week of the season. So we'll see how the fantasy uh, league progresses as we continue on. Yeah. First, thanks for Mark for doing yes. this. We're not going to call you Matt anymore. That joke was old last week when I tried <laughs> it for a second time. But I also, when we were got the dms from mark this week giving us the standings i just realized how cool it is that one these group of people have stayed together and want to be, stay in a league together associated with the show and how cool it is that they are still in this way linked with the show and mark is willing to do this so uh, i want to say to everybody in that league thank you very much because it just kind of is a reminder that there are people that listen to the show that are uh interested in the the group of people around this show and i i think that's really cool and i'm really thankful for that yeah i'm, I'm really thankful for mark for helping us keep the fantasy league going since both of us are, are not fantasy players but yeah, i actually I don't do. think i'm even allowed to play in the fantasy league. i'm i'm not sure that i am either yeah, yeah, for, <laughs> for different reasons but uh, uh-huh. we, we should definitely uh next year mark 
make sure we're promoting that throughout the preseason because we do want to yeah, keep that going. Absolutely. Um, well, that's all for this week. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, you can get out in the sunshine and, and get some positivity <laughs> back. <laughs> let's in all go for face. a hike. Let's yeah. have let's have a soccer made in Portland hike on Saturday yeah. morning. <laughs> Maybe we should do that after after that show. But hope, I'm, hope it was actually a cool format to be able to answer everyone's questions. Yeah. Um, Thank you for that, everybody. And we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll be back next week, but we'll see what happens after the LA game if the questions remain the same. Oh my god, you sound so scared. <laughs> we will see. Okay. Um, okay. All right. That's all for this week. We're Soccer Made in Portland. You can find us every week on Oregon Live, Timbers.com, and Sometime Footy. You can also subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. And until next week, take care.